This week on Young Nostalgia, we're looking at the mosaic of music. Let's take a look. Welcome back to Young Nostalgia. I would have to say that was probably one of the best best one-liners I have ever created. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Nolan. As always, Ben is beside me, and we bring you one of the most hot, steamy, most anticipated episodes of Young Nostalgia ever to be recorded and distributed to the people of the wonderful world of Earth. Episode 100, we're going to be very special today, taking a retrospective on episode 88 with a very, very special guest in the studio who we will introduce momentarily. Ben, how are you doing today, big guy? I'm doing good. I would like to go off of that. Uh, that reminds me of a fantastic, quick little story. Uh, you talked about p- uh, people on Earth. My parents got a new mailbox last week, and my dad saved the box to show me because, you know, normally at the bottom where it normally would say, uh, you know, made in wherever, made in China, made in Vietnam, United States, whatever, it says Wait. made on Earth. <laughs> Why is that freaking amazing? <laughs> you need to keep that forever. Please. I know. I think it's still in this garage. That that's fantastic. Oh I really hope he keeps it because I've never seen that before and it's awesome. So With I the, just like, had pictures, to tell you that. Right. There's like pictures of aliens and the instructions on how to install the new mailbox. <laughs> oh, I freaking love it. Yeah. That's awesome. I like it when All like right. a marketing department has a sense of humor. Right, right. That's great. Oh my god. One idea, one good idea taken away that we can say that we didn't come up with, unfortunately. Okay, so let's talk about (laughs) our absolutely special guest on episode 100. She is uh, a family member of mine, or at least very soon to be like official family member, even though we've known each other for over 10 years. An amazing person. Uh, She knows what she's talking about. Super passionate. It's so good to have her here. She is a first-time listener, long-time writer, writes in every week, enjoys the show, uh, but this is the only time that she's ever listened to one. So... Well, we'll welcome her with warm, open, young nostalgia, steamy arms. Very steamy. Emily Haver is on the show. She is a music teacher out in California. She knows her stuff. She enjoyed episode 88 where we talked about the influential music within films. So she's here to talk to us, educate us a little bit more about it, as well as kind of dive deep into what the music industry is in terms of that and the backgrounds. Emily, thank you so much for being on the show. How are you doing? I am doing pretty good. Um, thank you for that warm welcome. Um, steamy. Yeah, that warm yeah. welcome with steamy <laughs> arms. Yeah. So, yeah, it's been good, I guess. <laughs> good, I guess. I hope you're just like dripping with enthusiasm. Well, enthusiasm or sweat. It's really warm here. <laughs> <laughs> okay whatever whatever. we're just gonna keep this like very you know vague kind of like uh you know i don't even know what to say seductive uh i think you've already ruined it (laughs) i'm so sorry (laughs) i'm so sorry ben's always good at just pouring i think i think the very first time you have a loss if you're going for that vibe like the first time you have a loss for words then it's just it's just done All right. <laughs> Episode 100, we're going to be talking about the background of film music with our guest expert, longtime listener and supporter of the show, Emily. Let's do it. All right. 
looking in on this episode. Emily did such an amazing job. Uh, definitely very organized, very ready for this show. Uh, she She's going to be our uh, concurrent and like always third chair guest and person for the show because she really, really does a good work. Um, that teacher lesson planning is coming through. Well, this is this is the most organized lesson plan I've probably had ever. So, <laughs> so really, what should happen is that every lesson is taught through Young Nostalgia, right? So we'll you'll put together something, we'll record it as the show. You'll be the guest, and then you have all of your students listen to us. So that way, it boosts our numbers and yes. then we force them to write love reviews it. for us. So we I'll, have a, I'll tell you my students. <laughs> <laughs> and this is well, genius. You know, you know though, um, with the district not being sure of what's going to happen with, you know, returning to physical school, like in-person mm-hmm. education, you know, <laughs> it's a possibility, I guess. <laughs> this is awesome. Oh, I love it. This is great. I can't yeah, wait. That's, we'll be in that's touch. Really going to boost our numbers. That's good. That's going to be good. <laughs> I don't know yeah, if that's like looking illegal, at, but looking at these these notes that that she put together, it really puts us to shame because you know we spend approximately like thirty seconds on our show prep, um, <laughs> right? And, <laughs> and this is cool. just this is just amazing. <laughs> it's so good. I wish you guys could see it. Anyway, let's jump into it. Uh, so Emily and Ben. For them both knowing me as long as I have, they've put me in charge of pronouncing every single freaking word in this document. So if there's one thing you know about me is that, one, I make situations super awkward, and for two, I can't pronounce anything to save my life. So let's kick it off with a term called leitmotif. So leitmotif, uh, in definition, is kind of a short, recurring musical phrase or a sentence per se. And it's a lot of times associated with like a person or a place or idea. So Emily, why don't you give us a kind of like good background for a leitmotif in terms of, you know, where we can see this applied a lot in, in musical, musical, uh, in, uh, sorry, in film music. Okay. Um, so leitmotif, <laughs> um, is, is just like a short, you know, a couple measure long phrase or a short recognizable melody that is used um, repeatedly throughout the film to, or, you know, TV show even, um, to represent a person, place, or an idea. So, for example, um, just because you guys started off with Star Wars in episode eight, um, the Imperial March is used to, um, or is used as representation of Darth Vader. So, a lot of times when he's on screen, or, you know, when um, he's trying to be an ominous figure, um, they'll play that and, and you know automatically, oh, that's Darth Vader. Oh, that's the bad guy. Um, okay. So just kind of things like that. Yeah. Interesting. So when you take leitmotif and kind of associate it with a person, place, or an idea, is that the same kind of thing when they use what they call like reprises, you know? So if the same kind of like musical idea shows up again later in the show or the movie, is that kind of what this is? Um, yeah, I guess you could look at it that way. I, I, I haven't thought about it that way, I guess. Um, but yeah, I guess a reprise would be when, you know, the music comes back in in a new context or you know um yeah i think that's usually used more though for like longer melodies okay mm-hmm. okay and i see I that see. more often 
like in like musical theater okay. rather than film. I guess okay. I, I think about it more that way. Um, yeah. Okay, cool. So one thing so rather like, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I was just going to bring up that, you know, it's, it's interesting that, uh, you know, once that the correlation between uh, the, a particular melody and say a character is established, um, you know, there's sometimes where there's, there's that character doesn't even have to be on screen necessarily um, for that melody to have an effect. Um, I guess just kind of yeah. bringing it back to, to Star Wars, that's kind of, you know, Nolan and I's bread and butter as far as, you know, being able to relate some of these topics to, um, you know, there could be a, you know, it could be a scene where there's a, like a, a shuttlecraft or something coming in for a landing. And if there's a particular music in the background, we know either who's going to be on it or who's going to be affected or how that scene is going to play out based on the music that they accompany it to. Yeah, Absolutely. Awesome. Okay. So the next thing that kind of follows this a little bit um, is where leitmotif itself is associated with a German composer, Richard Wagner. 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 Uh, <laughs> so kind of kind of in the notes that you that, that you put in here, um, he revolutionized opera kind of back in the 1800s with a concept called Gesamtkunstwerk. I feel like that was pretty good. Should I Nailed add it. some like? Should I should I add some like uh, some some saliva, some spit in that? Like, comes work, work. Shoot, I think the first time I got it better. It seems like the the inflection that it seems like this word needs is you need some anger behind it, some 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 drive to it. There you go. Okay, cool. <laughs> so so emily with, with this uh quote unquote enter word here so what is this kind of like taking apart in terms of like what richard wagner brought to br- brought to the scene so so um wagner was really interested in this idea of um opera becoming a total work of art um which is what that word that german word that nobody can pronounce um on this podcast um translates to is total work of art so um, that's just the combined importance of the poetic language, um, the music, the visual, and the dramatic art in opera to create one whole spectacle rather than focusing on those parts as individuals. So, um, focusing on it as a whole rather than different aspects, I guess, um, which you really see in movies today, like as we, as we continue on through the years, like all of these big blockbuster movies, are, are kind of, I guess, trying to outdo each other or outdo what came before it in terms of, you know, the score is huge, the special effects are huge, the costumes are huge. Um, so it, everything just gets more more and more involved. Um, and, and at least in the composers, all of the movies that uh, you kind of focused on in episode 88, you can kind of see that um, where this influence of the opera and the total work of art comes together in this uh, aspect of film. Right. So what, what would be like a good example that can kind of pinpoint how important each aspect of this comes together to, to form the movie itself? You know, like if you take one thing out of context, how does that change it? Well, I mean, you can you can look for 
hours on YouTube and find examples of um, film scenes that have had the music removed. Um, so the, the one that I can think of specifically is um, the end of A New Hope um, when they, you know, they have that big celebration and, you know, they're walking down that, that long aisle way and there's no sound happening and everyone's just kind of standing there and it feels super awkward, but when you put the music in, it's a completely different feeling. Um, so that's, that's, I guess, one example um, that comes readily to mind. Right. So like, you know, kind of in that scene, you're supposed to feel like moments of triumph and you're like, oh, you know what? The good guys did it. We made it. Um, but like, so when it comes to that, the music, you never really realize until you watch something like that, how much groundwork and emotion you get from the music and your experience is really honestly defined by the music in a film. So with with music being such an important thing, does that usually come first in a film like that? Um, usually no. Um, so I actually, um, I did, I didn't really know about this before. Like I knew that they usually recorded, um, the soundtrack afterwards, but, um, there was a, a kind of series that Josh Gad was doing on YouTube called reunited apart, um, during this COVID-19 pandemic. Um, and he had on the cast of the Lord of the Rings and they did a reunion and, um, Howard Shore and, and uh, Peter Jackson, the, um, composer and director respectively um were both on it and they they were kind of talking about the process for the music and how um it was kind of unusual for this to happen in uh terms of film music but um peter jackson actually brought howard shore onto set before or like wilding so that he could see what some of these scenes were um, and see how they played out so that he could get some ideas to start on working on the music. And I think they actually did, um, you know, some of the cast members would be at whatever his place of residence was in New Zealand while they were filming and they would listen to some of these themes so they could have that kind of sound in their head as they were running through and actually shooting the movie. Um, but usually wow. after the movie is shot, they will give that to the composer. And um, that's when they'll do all of the scoring and um all of that good stuff so I, that was something that i hadn't known before yeah it was kind of cool See, that's, that that's cool. interesting um because i was just thinking about you know if if the majority of the the scoring is done after filming of a particular scene um you know if, if there's a particular mindset or feeling that they're trying to convey in a scene about how you know, you know, we watch that scene and we get that instantly. But if an actor or an actress is trying to convey that same feeling, that's got to be difficult to, you know, as an someone on the outside looking in, it seems like it would be difficult to do that without that without that music, because that's how we see it. And we just, you know, you watch it and it goes together perfectly. But, you know, they're doing it without the music and, you know, just blank background. And they have to make that try to do that without the music behind them. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right. Oh, I love it. That's cool. It's crazy. Like, you know, they can't just plug in a phone or enter in Bluetooth and they're like, OK, guys, this is what it sounds like. Good luck. And, that, <laughs> and that's that's why actors and actresses get paid big bucks. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah, it's kind of their job. Right. <laughs> right. Um, so uh, touch on this point. We'll touch on this point before we get into some really cool, specific 
um, aspects of leitmotif. So right before we started getting into that, um, you wrote down here, create specific emotional responses with the kind of recurring themes. So before we talked about the, the, um, the Imperial March, right. And kind of brings like this intensity, but also what kind of came to my mind, if we keep along the star Wars track, like what about just the title track for star Wars when the movie first starts, right. I've, feel like you know before star wars was even a thing obviously it wasn't really known but ever since that first star wars movie that same music has been used to to start the movie do you think that's something kind of cohesive with like you're in for an adventure something like that oh yeah absolutely i mean so the way that that's kind of composed and that that this kind of i think draws back to um like the days of opera and just musical theater in general a lot of um especially like older productions would start with an overture, um, which is a piece that, you know, it kind of has a bunch of the different themes from the play or from the musical or from the opera woven into it. Um, but it doesn't have any singing. So it's just a, an instrumental track and it, it kind of, um, during the overture, that's when, you know, a lot of times people or the actors or actresses will get on stage into wherever they need to be set up. Um, different set pieces will be moved on. That's when the curtain opens. So if, if you think about it kind of that way, um, that's another influence that was probably drawn from that kind of Wagner opera um, idea. That's awesome. And it's kind of like, it, it almost brings back to the work because like <laughs> the overture, the overture itself, like brings together so many aspects of the entirety of what the film score is going to be. So it's like even the overture yeah. itself to kind of get you ready for the film you're about to have a blast with is a complete total work of art for the entire thing that you're about to watch. So. Yeah. Um, and a lot of movies don't really have that, which is interesting. Um, yeah. I'm just trying to think, but Star Wars definitely <laughs> starts off with that. But like, you know, a lot of a lot of or most other movies, you know, yeah, there's there's probably music going on, but there's also dialogue mm-hmm. happening, mm-hmm. Um, right? Or or it immediately starts off with action. So I think that's you know really interesting that they all start that way. <laughs> that's awesome, uh, Ben. Anything? on your mind about the overall aspect of leitmotif before we head into some actual examples, we'll play some audio clips and kind of break those down. Uh, no, I think, you, you know, it's, it's not, we've kind of been focusing a little bit more, uh, quite a bit mainly because that's kind of, you know, the overall interest of, uh, you know, the people involved here, but we, we see the same kind of stuff I've noticed in other movies, you see it a ton in Westerns, especially older Westerns, you know, kind of when we talked about, um, older, uh, like actual live theater or operas, we see the same thing in Westerns where we have the, the repetition of, uh, different melodies or the, you know, variations on the overture that we see at the, the very beginning, um, and we also see that going into like, I'm a huge, uh, Godfather fan and that's, you know, very similar to, you know, all of the star Wars, uh, examples that we've talked about where I believe, wow, what is the main song? It is, uh, speak softly. My love is the actual song, the name of the, uh, the piece that the movie is based around. And f- 
the majority of the movie, it's the same basis of the 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 melody, the accompaniment, everything's similar, but it's all every single scene that it's used, it's tailored to fit the the, the feeling of that particular scene and what's going on, whether it's kind of a darker um, mob hit kind of scene or it's a light jovial like they're in the middle of a wedding or something like that and we get it we get to hear it on multiple different occasions and you know it, it still has the same you know meaning behind it but it nece- it's been tailored to fit a per uh, a specific goal of you know instilling a certain feeling with the audience right yeah, um, and that's that's uh, one of the or a couple of the Lord of the Rings examples that we'll listen to a little bit later. Um, it's them around that idea where it's the same melody, it's the same theme, but it's scored or it's orchestrated. So um, set using different instruments um, mm-hmm. in different ways to to draw a different response or have a different setting because of what instruments are used, what tempo or speed it's taken at, um, and that kind of thing. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I did know, I did notice the, the examples you had later on that they were like that, and I, I'm really excited to get to that because it's it's really amazing that the effect of changing just a few things has on on the film. Mm-hmm. I do have to say though, I have never seen any of the Godfather movies. <laughs> very good, very good. One of my favorites. It's okay. We still love you. We want you to be a guest here. <laughs> just from a musical sense. Uh, I think you would really enjoy them. That the huge musical scoring behind them, right? I think so too. Okay. Awesome. I'll add those to my list. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So we're gonna move into some uh, quote unquote some cool things. And uh, so foreshadowing is a big thing, part of like light motif um, and. Uh, you know the aspect of, of of music and film. So foreshadowing, and then we start off with some Star Wars examples. So Emily, why don't you kind of give us a description about what we're going to hear with the Imperial March, and then I will play uh, the sound clip. Okay, so um, I thought this one was a good one um, to use because I, I've been uh, since you guys started doing your kind of you know watch a episode of Star Wars. Um, and then do a, a discussion about it, those episodes. Um, I was like, you know what, I'm going to do that too. So, so I started rewatching them. And oh, so cool. I was watching the, I was rewatching the prequels and I was like, I didn't realize that they used um, the Imperial March so much in the, so um, us, you know, having seen the originals before the prequels, um, we know that Anakin becomes Darth vader um spoiler alert um but um, a kid who's maybe watching through it for the first time would probably start with the phantom menace um and so there's a lot of times in the prequels when um anakin is you know either being talked about as with the example that we'll be listening to Iwan and yoda are discussing training anakin um that the Imperial March is played, or at least a few notes of it, softly in the background. So we know that he's going to become Darth Vader. But if you have not seen these movies before, as you're watching it, you're like, you kind of follow along the progression of that theme. Um, and it mm-hmm. keeps getting added to and getting stronger as it goes through the prequels until he is Darth Vader. Um, no way. 
Yeah. That's nuts. I had absolutely no idea. <laughs> That's really cool. It sounds right. like we're going to have to uh, do a rewatch and, and review on those now. I know. And turn the <laughs> sound <laughs> way up. <laughs> okay. So we're going to play a short clip of what exactly what Emily is talking about. So this is a scene where Yoda and Obi-Wan are talking about um, training Anakin. The boy may be. Nevertheless, grave danger, I fear, in his training. Master Yoda, I gave Qui-Gon my word. I will train Anakin. You can pause now. Oh, okay. All right. I, I was going to wait until 30 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> I was really just at the beginning of that. Did you hear it? <laughs> at the beginning, you said? Yeah. Right. Right. I had to turn my speakers up a little bit, but I needed to make sure that okay. I didn't pick up the mic. So, yeah, but that's that's crazy how you can kind of hear it in the beginning because you would have never thought. I mean, obviously, that's a, a tense scene because we know how Anakin has been and his kind of tendencies at this point. Yeah, that's that's yeah, a, I mean, uh, you know, as we've seen them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that, sorry. That, no, no, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to speak over you. Um, That's. I can definitely hear it. You really have to be listening for it, but I could hear it this time. But I can say I've honestly never put that together before that that was playing in the background, probably because I've less experience with those movies. So I was maybe focusing on the dialogue a little bit more, trying to understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's very evident in the background and I can't believe that I've missed it this long. Yeah, um, there's some like there's other I think that's the first time in the prequels that it's played, if I remember correctly. Um, okay. But mm-hmm. as as you go through episode two and episode three, um, it gets played like more and more and like more notes get added to it and it gets a little bit more intense, a little bit louder um, until the end, I guess. Right. And, and it's interesting because I think last night we actually watched episode three, Revenge of the Sith. And so... It really like that kind of Imperial March or like the things that we associate with it really peaked when you see Anakin walking into the Jedi Temple for the first time as Darth Vader. Yeah. It's cool. And then, you know, at that point, that was like his complete transition. Um, So another one here that you kind of marked was um, the force theme. So when does that come up? Yeah. So um, in A New Hope, um, and I didn't have an example of this, um, but the force theme is playing when Luke is watching the binary sunset in A New Hope, but the the concept of the force hasn't really been brought up or explained yet. So um, that's kind of um, kind of foreshadowing just because you haven't associated it with the force, but you will later come to associate that theme with the force, I guess. Okay. That's crazy cool. Like I will never ever watch these movies in the same light again, just speaking to you because like you're so good at like pinpointing these things that could be drawn across each movie. But before I'm just like, here are some star Wars nerding buffoon idiot. That's like, these movies are so great. I would have never known. Yeah. I love it. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> but also, also um, did you, did you tell Ben about what I discovered on Spotify the other day? Oh my God. No, I did not. You have to tell him. You have to <laughs> so tell him. I, it was like, 
it was like one in the morning and I'm putting together these notes um, and I'm, I'm listening to the soundtrack and I, you know, I type in star Wars, whatever on Spotify. Um, and I, I don't like when I, when I find the, um, you know, album that I want to listen to, I click play and the little progress bar at the bottom turns into a lightsaber and apparently what? you can click on it and change color. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I've never noticed, but there you go. You'll have to try that out. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. I, I thought, you know, when you said, oh, wh- tell them about what, you know, Spotify, I thought, okay, well, maybe it, maybe the, the topic would be, well, they have all of the Star Wars sound. I'm like, oh, that's really cool. I think iTunes has that as well. But no, that's totally not what I was expecting. <laughs> um, that's fantastic. <laughs> And it just makes cool. me it makes me wonder what else they have. Um, I know. You know, right. I don't know. I'm trying to think of another big franchise, maybe Lord of the Rings. I don't really know what you would do for Lord of the what they would do for I, that. I, I, did, I, did look, I did look for some other ones, but I did not come across any like that. I, don't <laughs> gotcha. know, I, was, I, I even looked at like Harry Potter to see if they would come up with like a wand or something. No, right. they didn't. So wow, I don't know. that's crazy. <laughs> Yeah, you would think like Harry Potter out of all things like would be the next one in line. Yeah. Awesome. Wow, now That's now cool. that you brought up Harry Potter though, I'm I can definitely, I mean, I I don't think this is really a surprise to anybody here. Um, but definitely a lot of the the topics we've been talking about also apply to Harry Potter. Um yeah. We see um, Was it was it you said that you didn't know John Williams wrote the music for Harry Potter? Uh I know I definitely would have said that because I didn't know that before we (laughs) recorded that last show. Um, I wanted to to comment on that because I always forget, like, I know that he composed it, but I always forget until I'm like, oh, yeah, Mm -hmm. he did that, didn't he? Right. It's it's never like one of the the first thing when I think of John Williams. (laughs) Yeah, I just think that his career, the, the portion of his career dealing with Star Wars is so incredibly overshadowing you know everything else that he did that it's really easy to forget all of the other stuff that he was involved with yeah right absolutely <laughs> right other, uh, you know, other than just the common theme that this guy is a freaking boss when it comes to music <laughs> composition so <laughs> yes <But> yeah. yes <laughs> uh okay so let's switch gears a little bit we're still talking about light motif but this time we're going to focus on lord of the rings which i know uh emily is a big fan of the series so take oh us into gosh. the <laughs> take us into the first like example that you're going to walk us through okay so um this kind of goes back to what we were talking about with um creating a specific emotional response um so the the first theme that we'll kind of listen to is the Shire theme. So each of the next three examples are all the same thing, the same theme, um, but the combination of instruments draws a different emotional response each time. So the first one, the original version, you're going to hear the instruments um, combined, kind of making you think more of like a folk song. Um, So, you know, you'll hear um, more like, I don't know. It feels more like quaint and, you know, you can picture the countryside um, and it it sounds kind of um, like Irish or Scottish. It kind of makes you think more along those lines. So if you listen to the first example, you'll hear it like that. Um, And you just have to play like the first 15 seconds, 10 to 15 seconds or so. 15 seconds. Okay. 
perfect. I will do that. I'm going to exactly. mute my mic so I can turn up my speakers. 15 seconds. Got you. I'm going to mute my mic so I can turn up my speakers so I can listen. Okay, okay, there we are. So, so, so that's like the first time that you hear this theme. Um, it's uh, at the beginning of the first Lord of the Rings movie. Um, and it's, you know, showing you the Shire. And everything's the green. Okay. Rolling hills. Very countryside-esque. Um, and so then, then the next like, one... Very, sorry. <laughs> I was, I was going to say like very like peaceful, you know? Kind of like... yeah. You're like, you know, gracefully walking or running through a valley or something like that. Something that you just feel comfortable in. Yeah, peaceful, tranquil. Like those are those are good describing words. So you know, you feel like at peace and at home, and life is good. And so then the next example um, is after Sam's speech to Frodo um, in, at the end of the Two Towers, um, and this is where. Um, and I think the, where I have you start the video actually says the last bit of this, it's where, um, Frodo asks, um, you know, what, I don't remember exactly what he says, but when Sam is like, there's some good in this world and it's worth fighting for. And then it plays the Shire theme, but it's different instrumentation so that you're kind of, you know, put in this place of, you know, they're in this very intense situation they have a moment of downtime to remember this is why they are, you know, going through with this quest is so that their, their friends, their family, their loved ones back at home, you know, can still stay in that peaceful life, that peaceful setting um, and don't have this huge war impact them. So you can play the second example um, and you'll, there's a little bit of speech and then you'll have to play it a little bit after the speech. Um, if you're familiar okay. with what that theme sounded like, you, you can just stop it after like that first little bit of the theme. Okay, I'm going to do my best. Here we go. <laughs> what are we holding on to, Sam? <sighs> There's some good in this world, Mr. Ford. And it's worth fighting for. Okay, we are back. <laughs> I will, uh, before we get into conversation, I will give a... Uh, hopefully that didn't blow out anyone's eardrums on that. I did have to turn up the gain on that a little bit. Uh, it was pretty quiet so okay fingers crossed but i think we got it i, I didn't stop too soon did i yeah, no you know you're good so but okay. you you hear how you know that it's the same notes say or the same melody but it's put it in a different setting so it, it feels different as the listener and as the viewer as you're watching the that scene um and then the last one now this one owes me this is at the end of return of the king or towards the end of return of the king and it's after um 
after Aragorn is crowned and um, everyone bows to him and the four hobbits bow to him and he's like, my friends, you bow to no one. And then everybody at the coronation bows to the four hobbits. And it's this huge, impactful scene. And I actually, like, every time I watch this movie, I cry at this part. Um, I have in my notes here that um, one of the times that I was flying home, I watched this movie because I luckily got a plane that had the TVs. And I was sitting there sobbing (laughs) on the plane in front of all these people watching this stupid movie. (laughs) But um, (laughs) so this one... One is going to be orchestrated differently, so that means it's going to have different instruments, um, and it feels a little bit more grand than either of the two. Um, but it, it still has that kind of um, serious feeling to it. Um, okay. Yeah. All right. How long should I play this bad boy? You'll hear it. Oh, okay. <laughs> so <right>. Aragorn <laughs> says that you have to know it, and then. And then you'll hear like all of the, um, I think it's played on strings. The melodies played on string instruments this time. So you'll hear it. Okay. (laughs) So stop right when he says bow. No. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. Okay. Here's an example. Here's an example of this puppy. You bow to no one. That was beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> that was really cool. Like, it's crazy because, I mean, yeah. if, you, if you're if you a fan of the Lord of the Rings, obviously you know what's going on. Right when it, like, escalates with that theme of, like, triumph and, and like, togetherness, the camera itself pans out and it shows everybody getting down, you know? Yeah. Um, so, that, like, like I said, that's just an example. Like, that's one example of how one theme could be set in different ways to um have different meaning because each three all three of those had a little bit something different to them um so that kind of relates back to what ben i think it was you that was saying that or Mm -hmm. made a comment about it earlier so yeah it it is it's it's absolutely i mean it's used all over the place but you know our frame of reference being these you know several movies that we're talking about it makes all the difference in the world um, in a particular scene where, you know, just uh, uh, whether it's the instrumentation or the tempo changes just a little bit, it, it's amazing how big of a difference that it actually has. And then I haven't, you know, you notice a difference, but I, I mean, I've noticed a difference, but I've never really put two and two together before mm-hmm. um, and really noticed how big of a how big of a difference that it makes. <clears throat> yeah. Right. Uh, and I guess one example that you could use like if you are not as familiar with these movies um i just you know focused on these ones because these are the ones that you talked about in episode 88 but Mm -hmm. you know if you're watching a movie um and i did i did try to find an example of this but i couldn't think of a specific one so i was not fortunate in that but you know (laughs) if a character has a theme and if they die if they die during the movie like if they are buried on screen or if their funeral happens on screen like they could have their theme playing slow maybe soft um, maybe with different, um, more, I guess, mellow instruments to, you know, have a different kind of reaction. So, 
that's that interesting. would be, I guess, an example. Yeah. Right. And, and I know you're, <laughs> Emily, you're a big fan of the Avengers movies. So I can only imagine how much is that is implemented, especially with like, let's say the end of Infinity War, right? When all that's going on, you hear a, probably a lot of different themes in like a different kind of way as heroes are like disappearing. Yeah. Um, I actually, you know, did not think to look into the music for the Avengers um, or any of the Marvel. <laughs> I, did, I did mention it a little bit later. Um, something like I did, I did mention it a little bit later. Um, just one of the composers that we talked about is, is vaguely related um, to the composer of the, Avengers film. So we'll talk about that, okay. I guess, a little bit later. Um, and, that, and that's totally fine. That That's really cool. I just knew you were a big yeah. fan of that. And I feel like with so many characters on screen at once, there has to be a lot of connection to the music there. Yeah. And, and you know, I need, I, I've been working on my rewatch of those. So as I'm continuing through that, I'll, I'll pay a little bit more attention to the music this time to, to kind oh, of draw those perfect connections. Episode 200. You cool. ready? You're going to be the guest. <laughs> <laughs> Three years from now. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. um, Continuing on the same thing, um, theme of leitmotif and kind of emotional uh, track. So what's the next example that you have going on here? Okay. So um, the next example um, isn't really related to emotion. It's kind of more the instrumentation to support the theme. So, Um, Again, this is going to be an example from the Lord of the Rings, um, and this is the Isengard theme, which also um, ends up kind of representing the Urukai. So this is played, um, I think the example that I linked to is, um, if you are familiar with the movies, it's when um, the camera is like panning through the caverns at Isengard, and it shows the Urukai being created. Um, and so you'll hear a lot of low sounds. So low brass, low strings, low woodwinds, um, because that kind of relays like a heavier feeling. Um, and it has a lot of like metal hits and percussion to draw to the fact that, you know, they're cutting down all of the trees in this area and turning it very industrialized. Um, so that kind of metal work that you hear. And it also has a very uncommon time signature. Um, so this is kind of getting a little into music theory. So um, if you think about the the steady beat or the pulse of the song, um, there's five beats in every measure and there are accents on one and four. So you hear one, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five. And it's really like, once you play the example, you'll really hear it, but it, 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 it isn't even. So it makes the listener feel very uneasy. So that's mm. a way that like the instrumentation um, and the way that the music is actually written can kind of add to that um, feeling of unease. If that is what the leitmotif is meant to represent. So if you mm. want to play the Isengard theme, you'll be able to hear that. And this one is pretty loud. So just so you're aware <laughs> All right, heck yeah, turn it up to 11. Here we go. Here's the Isengard theme. (laughs) 
That's awesome. I love it. That's really, that's yeah, really so, cool. So you can hear like the intensity and, and like, you can tell, you know, obviously it's a very different theme. Um, it's representing a very different place than the Shire theme that we heard earlier. Um, mm-hmm. And you can really hear that just in like the instrumentation alone with those, right. you know, heavy brass and percussion hits. So. Right. It's you know, crazy because yeah. like it kind of it kind of gives me like this feeling or this thought process where it's like a lot of times when you take kind of a villain in perspective, right, or like the bad guys, they have one thing on their mind and that's the only thing that matters. This music kind of like makes me think of that, right? Like where everything is very like yeah. punctuated. Everything is like this, 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 like their idea or their want is being executed in such like a, a rhythmic pattern way i guess it is a good way to, to say it yeah um and you know i think i think it's interesting to hear your perspective um because nolan i you had said that you hadn't seen any of these movies before right right yeah and unfortunately oh. i still have not what a bum <laughs> yeah so, so, so like ben and i have seen them so we can associate things you know if we hear this theme like we kind of might have an idea of what's going on like on screen as we're listening to it. But right. you, your perspective as somebody who has never seen it um, is interesting to me. Was I right? Uh, is, uh, does this represent the bad guys? I mean, one of them. Yes. I mean, yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. All right. <laughs> one of them. Screw the bad guy. Well, you know what? <laughs> That's really one funny. thing I, I was going to bring up is, is, and maybe it's just a personal preference, but you know, I'm always, always, most people are always rooting for the good guys in a movie anyway, but it seems like the structure with the structure of the scoring, it seems like the bad guys always get the more interesting music than, and the, in my opinion, the best music. Um, I know we just, I actually, I've seen bits and pieces over the course of several years, but we just actually, it was a couple months ago we went through and we watched all of them in order. Um, and just we I had just finished hooking up, uh, rehooking up my big, heavy surround sound. And especially on this Isengard theme uh, was absolutely fantastic with big, big sound. Um, and it, it just seems like oh, it I, seems like I want yeah. the good guys to win. But I'm I'm always pumped when the bad guys are on camera because or, or bad guys are, are the focus of the scene. Uh, because it seems like they always have the best music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know, I, I I agree with that um, because I you know I um, I'm a trombone player, so that all that low brass, that oh, heavy low okay. brass, is like my favorite. So mm. so yeah, that those themes that include that make me very happy. Um, I know there's <laughs> there's some in in the Hobbit movies as well, like the um, the Misty Mountains theme whenever it's orchestrated. Um, it it's so it's so great with all the brass gotcha. uh, instruments I, playing. Um, I will take your word for it because we did watch uh the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I have not seen any of the Hobbit. Um, it's oh, on the really? list. Wow. It's on the list, but we just haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> yeah. So 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 Emily actually just leaves the show on her own. She's like, oh, I'm over it. These guys don't know anything. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's really cool. No, I, I'm absolutely with you guys there with like the, the villains kind of getting in the way. And it's crazy too because 
I mean, I, I'm affected a lot by music and, and a lot of things, whether it be like video games and film and stuff like that. But when it comes to, especially like this Isengard theme, it was crazy because I can only imagine that when I do watch these movies and hear this, there's something that like happens to me where I'm like, I get so engrossed in it because it feels like when this is going, it feels like the bad guys are actually winning, right? It feels like, oh, something, is, something good is happening to the bad guys and that they're overtaking the heroes. Mm-hmm per se. So it's like, oh, this isn't good. You know, like you get more invested in it because you're like, well, now the bad guys have a leg up or now, you know, something's happening that this isn't going to be good for the good guys. Yeah. It's very ominous. Right. Right. And, And I don't, I hope that this doesn't railroad the entire conversation or the entire show for that matter too much. But, uh, one thing that I just realized, and I don't know if, uh, Emily is aware of this or not. Nolan, uh, when we were in school, that was kind of your thing when you were studying and that sort of thing was to listen to soundtracks, specifically video game soundtracks, which follow a lot of these same rules. Um, And I would I would find it very likely that you probably had these same feelings just by listening to the soundtracks alone um, in a game that you've played before that you could pick out exactly what it's from and exactly what meaning that particular part of the music had uh, to the the storyline of the game. Right. Absolutely. That's a good point. I didn't even like think about that, but this kind of like musical theme comes across a lot. Like one game in particular that I feel like really emphasizes this kind of stuff is like Skyrim Mm -hmm. because they also have the same kind of like medieval kind of feel, you know, that Lord of the Rings kind of has if that makes sense if that's a good like comparison like i feel like lord of the rings is very like whimsical and kind of fantasy medieval like undertone yeah like it's it's like high fantasy um, right exactly yeah yeah I, yeah I i have to admit that i do not play video games that often so i am <laughs> not as familiar with any of the video games so i apologize um but yeah, maybe that would be a, a cool episode to do for you guys in the future is talk about video game music. Right. That's cool. Oh. And then we can we can show you and have you listen to the video game music. You don't yeah. have to necessarily play it. We can, you can point out yeah. things. We can come up with our own examples right. <laughs> and play them. After, after, being, after being educated and we're like, this is Goomstrom's work at its finest right here. So, so you're telling me that you're going to sit and make notes <laughs> okay yep exactly <laughs> if we can't even like prepare our own show notes i love it okay so that was absolutely awesome kind of with that emotional undertone um and the light motif of film scores especially rings and, and star wars so let's transition into specifically lord of the rings in general but howard shore as the composer so is there any about, relation like, to Polly shore right <laughs> <laughs> probably not is that a joke i don't know if i was supposed to laugh, laugh at no it was 100 a joke yeah no i'm not serious on okay, it. Okay. <laughs> i would hope not i would hope there's not <laughs> that's amazing okay so why don't you walk us through a little bit about like how would shore your background with them and then kind of talk about what makes him so unique okay so howard short lord of the rings the the lord of the rings and the Hobbit soundtracks are my go-to for whenever I need, you know, to focus on something. And like, like if I'm studying or trying to get work done or even just reading and just need something going on in the background that doesn't have words, these are what I go to. Um, So one of the cool 
things I think um, with Howard Shore is that he took a, so much inspiration from Tolkien's um, like previous work. So um, Tolkien created entire languages for Middle Earth. Um, and if you notice in the notes, I did put a, a link to a, like a page about all of the languages that he constructed. Um, so Howard Shore actually did those specific languages, like translated them um, or, or used them um, as the choral portions of the soundtrack. So the, the themes that deal with the elves, um, you can hear this a lot. So if you, go, if you go back up to the music example section, the Elvish language in the Lothlorien theme, um, you can hear the singing at the beginning um, is in that Elvish that was created for Middle Earth. No way. That's awesome. Okay. I, I can't wait. I need to hit the play button. Okay. So like what, 15, 20 seconds, you think it'll be just fine? Yeah. Just so that you can hear some of the language that's used. Okay. Here we go. That's really cool. It almost kind of gives me like an ominous kind of um, unknowing, like almost not bad in a way, but something that's like mysterious, something that's like, you know, like yeah. those things like, otherworldly. like you know, yes, otherworldly, yes. like something that you know exists. You just don't know anything about it. And yeah, it's kind I of like that, like that Gregorian chant kind of a thing. Yeah, Ooh. I think ominous and, and mysterious are like the key yeah. words there. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You say, and and actually, like I said, you got some music history, and they're talking about Gregorian <laughs> chants. Um, <Right. laughs> um, but um, yeah, if you if you if you were to like continue yeah continue listening to that particular example a little bit later, there are instruments that are used that aren't um, considered like Western music instruments. Um, I'm not. I don't know specifically what is used but Howard Shore does this a lot in the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit soundtracks is using like unconventional um at least towards um like western music like you know the and when I say western music I'm thinking you know the full symphony orchestra that has violin viola cello bass trumpet trombone clarinet flute like all of like the standard instruments um in our culture he actually expands that and uses a lot of soloists and a lot of instrument specialists from other cultures to create these sounds wow. um, so if you keep listening and I, I said i don't remember what the instrument is but you can hear it definitely does not sound like you know like a violin or you know one of our traditional western culture instruments um right. so that kind of adds to that otherworldly aspect that that, you know, the elves are um, not, you know, it's driving the point home that the elves are very much not the race of men in this series. Um, so that's just kind of an interesting thing. And you'll hear that a lot in the music for The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. Wow. That's awesome. And then here, it looks like you have a note where like uh, leitmotifs themselves um there's over 160 identified within the Lord of the Rings film universe. Yeah. So Lord of the Rings Hobbit. So there are over 160 identified themes in the films. Um, if, if you were to look up, um, I didn't, you know, obviously write them all down, 
But um, <laughs> if you were to look up, I think I think the Wikipedia page has it. If you look up Lord of the Rings music or film music in Lord of the Rings or, you know, a variation on that, it'll come up with a bunch of the themes that are used um, and like when they are used. So that might be something to look into on your own time. But yeah, there are uh, in the Lord of the Rings, there are um, around 100 and then the rest of those were, you know, added on in the Hobbit films, as wow. well as being combined with some of the same ones from the Lord of the Rings. Because you will hear like the Shire theme, um, the Ring theme, both happen in the Hobbit movies, um, too. So, wow, that is um, so cool. You know, we were, we were kind of talking. Yeah, we were kind of talking about the the instruments used. So Howard Shore used a huge um, variety of instrumental or of, of musicians. So there are over 300 musicians involved in the making of these films. Um, so that includes like the full symphonic orchestra soloists, um, specialists on, you know, those non-Western music instruments, um, and then multiple choirs and vocal soloists. So over 300 musicians involved in the sound. Jeez. Wow. Well, Wow. Well, <laughs> safe to say that they can't be recording that kind of thing during the current state of the world, but that is really cool. Yeah, no, that would not happen now. <laughs> right. Can you imagine doing a Google Hangout and everyone trying to be like, no, you're off, you're off, you're on. Like, <laughs> doing like a just, six second delay. Right. Yeah, six, de- <laughs> six second delay. I had to try to teach band online this last semester. Is that what you mean? <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh, that's exactly, yes. Yeah, it, it doesn't. So, so the way that we um, will usually actually record um, a movie soundtrack is, is everyone's going to have a click track. Um, so that's, you know, keeping that steady beat going through their ear so that they are all playing in time, you know, as oh. well as. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So like you'll if you if you watch any like behind the scenes of movie music, um, they'll have um, at least with with Howard Short, this is the example that I watched, is he'll have, like, the movie playing in front of him and has um, the click track going through his ear, so he's conducting to it, and that's how they do, like, the the live um, concerts, you know, how they do, like, you'll watch the movie, but you're there in seeing, I think, I know Toledo, right. no, Cleveland, one of them has near Northwest Ohio has done, has done that. Um, wow. Yeah, I had no idea know, that that was a thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's like, it's really cool. So you'll, you'll have to do a little bit more like watching the behind the wow. scenes of how the, the soundtrack is recorded. Um, I'm not, I'm not super like, I'm not going to claim to be an expert on, on soundtrack recording or recording of anything but i mean um, you mean they is, don't use really audacity what's that i was like you mean you mean they don't use audacity and usb microphones that, no that was gonna be my point too it's like sure you can be an expert we claim to be experts every week <laughs> <laughs> it's easy <laughs> you just say it and then it's true right <laughs> all right so before we move into the next topic you have one more example here for us what's this about okay so the next topic kind of or the next um, example kind of goes into the next topic so 
Um, I'm going to talk about kind of the the music that is heard by the characters. Um, so in the Lord of the Rings movies, most of this music that like happens, you know, when someone is singing, like a character is singing and, you know, the other characters are hearing it. Or if somebody is playing an, in, an instrument um, in the background, like I think in when they're in Rivendell, um, there's like an elf playing the harp in the background or something like that, you know, um, music that the characters actually here um is not written by howard shore so one of the most interesting things and this i was looking this up before you called earlier today um because i knew i had seen this somewhere but i couldn't remember where and i could not find where it was and it was a few years ago so i had to like do some deep diving to find this um <laughs> but some of this source music is actually based on tolkien's original idea for how the songs would sound so um the example that i included is the um, blunt the knives from the first hobbit film so the text you know occurred in the book so the text already existed but then the music in the film for it was like the melody um was put together by stephen gallagher um so if you listen to the original recording this is tolkien actually singing through it so go ahead and play that for maybe 10 15 seconds okay this is it right here. Chip the glasses and crack the blades, blunt the knives and bend the forks. That's what Bilbo Baggins hates. Smash the bottles and burn the corks. Cut the cloth and tread on the fat. Pour the milk on the pantry floor. Okay, Leave the bones in the... There it is. And then, and then if you play it from the movie, you'll notice that a lot of the rhythms and kind of like the way that that melody is shaped matches what the original was. So he has... A, um, this was actually like inspired by the original content. Okay. And here is the movie version. Wow. Yeah. So you can hear how similar those two are, um, which I like, obviously the research was done when creating the music for these films, um, which I, I think kind of like, this is why this is one of my favorite um, film scores. It's just, there's so much detail and there was so much thought put into it that it just blows my mind. I mean, I haven't even seen this blowing my freaking mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, wow. I mean, it was pretty much, it was, I don't want to say the same because obviously it's not the same, but it was, it was like a direct correlation. It's not like they just used it as a, a basis. It was basically the same thing, just with a, a musical accompaniment to it. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely very, very uh, heavily inspired by you know the original thought process behind the music. Yeah, absolutely. Um, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to ask. I wasn't sure if you touched too much on like diegetic, which would what you said here is like music heard by characters themselves. So we heard him like, Oh, we heard the characters like singing. Right. So they kind of created this, the, like the music for the scene itself. Yeah. So that, that this kind of like leads into that next point. So diegetic or uh, um, source music is any music that's part of the storytelling and you can presume is heard by the characters. So some examples of this um, would be, you know, what we just listened to, because that's when um, the dwarves kind of, um, 
stumble in on Bilba's quiet evening at home and they're, you know, they've made a mess of his whole pantry and his whole dining room, his whole house, and he's not very happy with it. So they're kind of like poking fun at him. Um, and so that's an example of music that's part of the storytelling. Okay. But it, and it's, it's heard by the characters. Um, so another example would be Cantina Band in Star Wars. Um, so mm. like that, that, that's music that the characters would be hearing. Interesting. That's really cool. So if like a certain mood yeah. was set in, like if we if we take a movie and they like walk into a bar, right? If like there's a certain rock song playing on the jukebox, that's kind of diegetic because at that point you're engulfed in the scene with the characters. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then on the other side of that non-diegetic music is any background music that the characters cannot hear. So that would be, you know, any original film score um, or also needle dropped music. So that's, you know, anything that you could pull off of the radio or, uh, you know, already exists. So, um, this kind of relates to what you guys were talking about, about Rocky in episode 88, the gonna fly now. Um, oh. and mm. like that, the, like, um, I have a tiger and like all of that, that's like needle drop music. That's not specifically written for the film. So, but the characters also cannot hear it. It's just kind of like an, a montage kind of background. Um, Interesting. And then mm-hmm. the the other point that I had with this this music is that um, I don't know if any of you guys or either of you two have seen Hitchcock's The Birds. Oh, I certainly <laughs> have. Oh, really? Okay. Oh, yeah. Fantastic awesome. movie. Um, so that's an example of a film that has no non-diegetic music. So there was no music that was composed to be like the original film score. Instead, um, there are sound effects and rare instances of source music. So like children singing or a piano being played. Um, so that kind of goes to what we were talking about earlier. If you were to remove the music out of the scene, um, like it kind of makes it feel uneasy and suspenseful um as they definitely did that in this film <laughs> wow well, i think crazy i think it it, it, ne- it hasn't necessarily always been no diegetic music but i think i think alfred hitchcock is kind of known for that is he not um i think thinking back to other alfred hitchcock movies i think i think he uses that relatively often to have that uneasy feeling you know, I wouldn't be surprised, but this The Birds is the only film of his that I've seen, I think. Oh, okay. But I, I, I think I think that is the case. I mean it's I'm not a super, you know, Alfred Hitchcock enthusiast, but I have seen, you know, several movies here and there, and I I believe that is that's a very common theme that he uses to create that uneasiness in his movies. Wow. That's really cool. And almost like it's crazy because you think of just like rare source music of like things almost that we're quote unquote like used to in regular life, right? When you go to a movie, you never expect to hear your regular life while watching a movie, you know? And then all of a sudden you go in to like be anticipated to be engulfed into a cinematic experience and you're like, well, this is weird because I hear this kind of stuff all the time. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. I guess a good way to, to think of it is, you know, in kind of a 
even modern horror movies, there is always some sort of uh, background, you know, scoring, whether it's actually kind of sounds like music or not. There's always some sort of background noise involved. And anytime there's not, it's always at a really, really suspenseful part mm-hmm. of the movie. Well, in, in this case, you know, with with Alfred Hitchcock, it's he kind of uses that for the whole movie. So there's to kind of relate it to newer things. When you think about there's nothing in the background, there's that suspense. Well, if you think of an Alfred Hitchcock movie, there's nothing in it, the like the entire movie other than dialogue and you know, a couple sound effects here and there. And so it it has that same suspenseful feeling from start till credits. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and what you were saying with, you know, with horror movies, sometimes there's just like a background sound, you know, a lot of times those are, you know, instruments that are being played. So like Mm -hmm. if, um, you know, if, if someone's going through like an old house, and if maybe you'll hear like an upright bass like the lowest note just being sustained and that's the only sound that happens um like things like that because th- that that can also uh build suspense because the music or you know the background sound doesn't have any real motion to it um mm-hmm. so yeah nice. fantastic it's really nice. cool. that that is really really cool All right, we'll move into the last couple of topics here. So the next one we're going to be talking about is Hans Zimmer, the one and the only. Um, And so talk to us about Hans Zimmer and kind of how he brings to play, especially, I mean, we talked about him in in episode 88, but what is his like style or like what, how does he kind of use this guy's, um, this background in music? So um, I only had a couple of points and they were, they're both kind of related um, because I was very surprised surprised after listening or I, I actually re-listened to episode 88 a couple of days ago so that my ideas my thoughts were fresh in my mind before coming on today um but I was surprised that neither of you got that Hans Zimmer did the music for Pirates 2, 3, and 4. <laughs> no um, idea. I had absolutely so I had no idea. idea. That's what I feel like that's what I know him from is is those movies um really like I, I know that he did um but a lot of those other ones, I was just like, uh, okay. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah. So I was very shocked. I actually re-listened to that, the, the section that you had about him a couple of times just to make sure that I didn't miss it. And then I texted Nolan like, did you guys completely miss it? <laughs> and yes. he was like, what? No way. Uh, yeah. So um, I, I thought it was interesting because he, he was asked to rescore the music for the first Pirates movie. Um, so Jerry Bruckheimer, who's the producer of Pirates, was not happy with Alan Silvestri's score. So Alan Silvestri did Back to the Future, Forrest Gump, and this is where the Marvel movies come in. He did Captain America, the first Avenger, Avengers 1, 3, and 4, and then the Polar Express. Um, but Jerry Bruckheimer did not like what he did for Pirates. Wow. So um, yeah, wow. Hans Zimmer to rescore the movies. Uh, but Hans Zimmer was committed to The Last Samurai at the time, so the project got passed on to somebody else, and I don't remember the person who did the first movie. Um, But, yeah, I thought that was interesting um, that you didn't know that. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, I have have no idea how we... how we we skipped over that. Um, I, I mean, if it would have shown up on any list that we were looking at, I can't imagine that we wouldn't have put it in there. 
Right. Um, and yeah, that's, that's super surprising that, you know, that we didn't even, you know, come across it, you know, let alone think of it when we were putting mm-hmm. together that show prep. Right. That's crazy yeah. because like <laughs> you, you, when I think of Hans Zimmer, most of the time I think of like Christopher Nolan movies, right? So like Batman, you have mm-hmm. like Interstellar, you have Inception, things like that. But I have never known. Uh, wow. I need to go back and, and, listen, and watch the Caribbean again. And you know, I don't know if yeah. this is, I don't know if it's just me or not, and I don't know, maybe this has something to do with why we didn't see it, but for whatever reason, it seems like, uh, it seems like Pirates of the Caribbean are like the, I don't know how to describe it, maybe like the, the redheaded stepchild of movies, it seems like. It seems like they, I really, I really like Pirates of the Caribbean personally, Absolutely, but it seems yeah, like they you. catch, it seems like they catch a lot of crap to be blunt about it. You know, it seems like there's a lot of critics that you hear that there's not great stuff. Um, people kind of put down Pirates of the Caribbean a little bit, I've heard. And I don't know if that's just my own personal experience. I don't know if anybody else has noticed that, but I'm just wondering well, if maybe I, that's why we didn't I, see I it. Like, I feel like that's more about the sequels. Cause I, I mean, I guess I was young enough at the time that um, I, I don't know that I would have remembered um, like the first movie getting a lot of criticism. I think Pirates of the Caribbean was the first DVD that my family owned. Um, first DVD. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, I don't, I don't necessarily remember any critique about that, but I do remember there being a lot of critique when they just kept coming out. And I honestly haven't seen the fourth one. And I think they're up to, are they up to five? Or- what? Uh, shoot. Um, they have to, uh, well, I, I don't know. I, I, you brought up the point of like the sequels and I'm like, you know what? You're absolutely right. Because at this point it's like, I lost count enough yes. to care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I know I didn't see the last one, the third one. So any past that I have not seen. Um, right. I think at that point I just kind of like lost interest cause I don't, I don't, I don't know, but, um, yeah, I, I do remember really liking like the first and the second one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. And okay, so what I was doing is that I actually pulled up the uh, theme song for Pirates of the Caribbean because talk about like well, okay, remember that this one would not have been by Hans Zimmer though because he did <gasps> oh, not do the music shoot. for the first movie. Ah, uh, come on. So he he created oh, the previous um, the previous themes that were set and then added his own after that, after um, doing those second, oh. third, and fourth ones. Okay. Like that main theme by whoever did the original, which I do not remember his name. Okay. Well, screw that. That doesn't even matter then. We'll just throw that out the window. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, that's awesome. Hans Zimmer is a really cool, very talented person. Um, moving on. So the last topic we have here uh, with Emily on the show called music theory and emotion itself. So talk to us a little about this and how kind of like the common theme of the episode has been like you change one or two things. It can really change the feeling of either the entire scene or the song itself. Okay. 
So this is like music theory for super beginners. <laughs> um, so, uh, I'm working on the assumption that you guys do not know music theory or do not have a wide understanding of music theory and that your audience also does not. Um, so if you were to look at a piano keyboard, you have a combination of black keys and white keys. Um, and they're, they're in sets of three white keys with two black keys in between them. And then the next set is four white keys with three black keys in between them. Um, and so the combination of half step or half steps, which are keys that are directly next to each other on the piano. Um, and then whole steps, which is obviously two half steps put together. Um, those are what makes a scale. So I'm going to play actually a couple of scales for you. I'm going to move my computer a little bit closer to my piano. So hopefully you'll be able to hear it. And I'll ask oh, you if you can hear it okay here. after I play it. Yeah, no, this uh, is freaking okay. awesome. <laughs> so so um, most people would be familiar if they've studied music at any point of time with a major scale. So I'm going to play a C major scale for, for you. So um, that's the combination again of half steps and whole steps on the piano keyboard. Now, um, if you, there are tons of research that has been done about um, different keys or different scales um, being related to different emotions. Um, there are whole lists of them. I did not copy and paste any of them, but generally those major scales will sound happy. Um, so again, I'll play that C major scale. And if you play the first, third, and fifth note of that scale, you'll have a chord. So C major chord. And it sounds very happy. Now, um, on the opposite side of that, I'll play a minor scale. So these are the two scales that people would be most familiar with is major, so the happier sounding, and minor, the kind of sad sounding or spooky. So I'll play a major, sorry, a minor scale so that you can hear that. And then if I played um, the first, third, and the fifth note of that scale, it's 100% a different kind of sound than what the major scale was. So um, if you want to hear the difference, um, you can, like, in context, um, I figured that this would be an example that everyone would be familiar with. So the song Jingle Bells, if you th just take a second to think about how that goes in its original like major key, um, you know, it sounds happy. Um, you can open that YouTube clip and play what it would sound like in a minor key and see just kind of how different they sound from each other. And you don't have to play very long, just like through the melody a little bit, you know what Jingle Bell okay. sounds like. So just- Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so here's the example for Jingle Bells in a minor key. Look at that. That's crazy. It kind of just puts you in like deep, dark mind zone, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It reminds me of if you've seen The Nightmare Before Christmas when um, when he, when he Jack is, you know, giving everybody their instructions on what they're supposed to do. And he has like the little mm -hmm. band try to play Jingle Bells and right. they do and it sounds all spooky. That's what it reminds me of. Um, so... That just kind of shows you, you know, if a composer wants to have something that sounds happier or trident or, you know, any of those positive emotions, they'll probably most likely put it in a major key. And so we heard that in the Shire theme that we heard earlier. Um, on the other side, if they, they want to um, 
if they want it to sound kind of ominous or spooky or sad, um, they might put it in a minor key. Now, there are a total of, I believe, seven different keys, um, or in music we call them modes, but major and minor are the two that people would be most familiar with if they are familiar at all, so I won't go into the other five. Um, and then we have a chromatic scale, which is a scale that is made up of all half steps. So this would be like if you were to touch every key on the piano in order. So I'll play a little bit for you right now so you can hear how that sounds. So there are more notes in the chromatic scale just because you're hitting all of the half steps in between. You're not skipping any of them. Um, so half steps are used a lot in melodies to sound eerie. So an example of that is the Jaws theme. So I'm using the notes E and F and I'll play it in a lower, in a lower octave so that you can really hear that. And the reason that it sounds so creepy is because if you were to play these two notes at the same time, they, they have dissonance or they clash with each other. So they sound very uh. crunchy. Um, whereas if you were to play um, notes that are, you know, three half steps away from each other or four half steps away from each other, um, it's a very different sound. So the distance between notes, that's called an interval. Um, and so that half step interval is used a lot to just kind of sound eerie or spooky. Another example of that is the ring theme in the Lord of the Rings. So that's the, um, Whoa. So those first, like those, the first bunch of notes, like those first five notes, I believe is, is that B to C and then back and forth between those two. Um, so it, it sounds creepy like as soon as you hear it you're just like kind of on edge um and then another super interesting interval um is called a tritone um it's also known as an augmented fourth or a diminished fifth but you don't need to know that just know it as a tritone and that's an <laughs> interval that's made up of three steps um so i'm gonna play the notes c sharp so that you can hear that uh interval or that distance and if I play them together, so this crunches or clashes a lot. So this is also known as the devil's interval. Um, and that's from when music was strictly tied to the church way back when um, uh, most of the music was composed was for written for the church. And it was inappropriate to, you know, have music outside of the church. Um, and using it was banned by religious authorities using that interval in composition just because it was known as the devil's interval. Um, wow. so it's great for expressing tension and, um, Danny Elfman, who is another like really well-known film composer. Um, he uses them frequently. He did the music for Beetlejuice and Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, a lot of Tim Burton movies, actually, he did the music for, um, but he also <laughs> did the, the Simpsons theme. And that first interval is a tritone. So, um, it's. It's kind of interesting, um, the actual theory behind it. But right. yeah, that's kind of all I had in terms of theory without getting super in-depth right now. Hey, that's that's absolutely yeah. really cool. And then like, it, it, it's interesting with like how you bring in like Danny Elfman and like what he actually composed because you hear those like tritones together. And especially like if you take it in the in the... Uh, part of the Simpsons theme, it's like the Simpsons is like great, right? It's absolutely funny. They do a really good job. 
episodes are really entertaining. But it's also like I feel like, you know, just the the characters themselves, especially like Bart and all that, the family itself <laughs> is like disorganized, right? So when I hear like these tritones, I'm like, it just doesn't fit, you know? And it kind of just like fits the theme of that. Um, you know, and then Tim Burton is such a quirky, weird guy, you know? Like none of his films yeah. I mean, his films are great, but none of them tend to like make sense. They're disorganized. They just like the way they come across is very just weird. And tritones kind of give you that feeling for sure. Yeah, I can see that. Definitely. <laughs> you got anything yeah. to get? No, I just saying it, it's, you know, I mean, it, it, any music is made up of you know, you've got the same notes at your disposal, but just the, it's amazing how the different combination of those notes, whether it's all together in a chord or uh, strung together, how big of a difference that it makes in in the sound and the feeling of the music. Even if it's following the same, uh, you know, following a similar melody or if it's the, the same tempo, it, it can completely change how it sounds and the perception that the listener has on it. Right. Absolutely. It's crazy. And it means a ton for Emily to be here and like kind of walk us through it. It's, and it's crazy how much of like your passion and obviously your whole life has been involved a lot with music and it definitely shows, which makes this just another awesome aspect to have you here with us and talking through, you know, our passion in movies and your passion as well and how you're connecting it with it, maybe on a more deeper or a different level than what, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to say like normal people, but like people that don't have the experience that you have. And thank you so much for sharing that with us today. Yeah, absolutely. It's been fun. Thank you for uh, on to do this. Absolutely. Again, episode 200, we're going to be talking more about all this <laughs> and how we've changed. I'm just, I, <laughs> just kidding. We are going to have you on sooner rather than later for sure because you have absolutely made this episode something super special for us and we really appreciate all your support over the years. Of course. Happy to <laughs> do fantastic. it. <laughs> You're fantastic. Next time, uh, Ben and I are actually going to write a theme for you. So the next time you're on the episode, we're going to write a tritone theme and have you on. Oh, boy. Oh, beautiful. I can't wait to hear this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. All right. Thank you so much. It, it absolutely means a ton. So that was episode 100, a very special episode with a very special guest, Emily, uh, who's been a longtime listener and longtime supporter. She's the one that we have talked about uh, when it comes around Christmas time or gift giving. Reach out to her. I don't know if you're still doing, still doing your Etsy page at this time. Um, Mostly the stuff that's on my Etsy is like knitting patterns. So if you already okay. know how to knit, uh, um, yeah, but I haven't had the energy to make anything for other people. I've been very selfish. <laughs> hey, no, that, is, that is okay. But you do amazing work. But just keep keep on checking in on Real Big Stitch. That's R-E-E-L, Big Stitch. You can find it on Instagram as well as Etsy. Uh, if you know how to knit, grab some uh, print uh, um, patterns from her. And then as well as just keep an eye out because at some point, I'm sure you'll probably get back into it and uh, share that passion with everybody else. Yeah, probably. Probably. Don't don't feel rushed into it. Oh, well, now young nostalgia said I have to. But anyway, we're always here to always here to support you uh, if you get back up. So with that said, I think we're going to round out this episode. Thank you so much for joining us. 
Uh, this has been a great time. Thank you so much for sticking around for as long as you have with Young Nostalgia. We've definitely grown and have definitely loved every single episode and minute of it. So you can always find us on your favorite podcasting platforms, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think. If you like what you hear, please hit that five star. Right, Go back down for about 13 seconds of your day. Let us know what you like about the show in a written review. You can also email us just like our good friend Emily on the show did, letting us know that she has some notes. Notes, and we brought her on. So this was absolutely fantastic. You can email us at youngnostalgiapod at gmail.com with any show uh, notes or you know your thoughts, things you'd like to hear in the future. Or if you'd like to be a guest, let us know. Ben, anything else, big guy? Uh, no, I think that was a super in-depth show. Really happy that Emily was able to, to come on with us. Uh, definitely one of, well, the best show we've had yet. Um, absolutely. As far as content and and guests goes, that was super fun. Absolutely. And Emily, thank you again so much. We can't wait to have you back on. Great. Thanks, guys. (laughs) Anytime. Like we said, we will send you a pressed vinyl of this entire episode. You can spin it up anytime you want. Can't wait. Can't wait, she says. I love it. You better put that in a plastic sleeve and save this forever. (laughs) (laughs) All right. As we always... Oh, wait a second. Wait a second. Wait a second. I forgot I'm in charge of this too. I have to do the outro music. Starts music stalling, stalling, stalling. Literally literally every week. Okay, here we go. Blah, 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 blah. Episode 100. This has been fantastic. Emily, we love you. As we always say here on Young Nostalgia. (laughs) Keep the bottles empty and the ashtrays full. We'll talk to you next week.